0: That reminds me of Ezekiel 1, where the Lord's flying throne chariot comes and goes to the river Kebar. I had my flying pulpit come from the east to the, the center. Well, I have really good news for all of you this morning. I have a message of judgment, great judgment, vivid judgment creative judgment, hand-picked judgment, R-rated judgment, glorious judgment. And after all that judgment, the Lord ends His message of judgment for His people with a message of amazing, merciful, surprising, undeserved, shocking hope. So if you have your Bibles, will you please turn with me to Ezekiel 11. If you're trying to find Ezekiel, you can go to your table of contents or flip to the middle of your Bible. If you get to Psalms, just go right. You'll hit the major prophets soon and you'll eventually find Ezekiel. While you turn there, I want to point your attention to the back of our bulletin. Our passage for this morning is Ezekiel 11, 16 through 25, and you have that on the bulletin. It'll be on the screens behind me, but we also have our reading plan for this Ezekiel series. As a church, we're going to read through all of Ezekiel, and we're going to preach through all of it, and yet when we come to a sermon, we're not going to be preaching all Eight chapters that we were supposed to read this week, but if you're following along in the reading plan, we encourage you to read Ezekiel 4 through 11. If you didn't get around to that, don't start now. Uh, I will summarize it in the sermon. If you did do that reading, I hope you were blessed by the reading of God's Word. And I also anticipate that some of you had really hard questions about some of the content in Ezekiel, and I plan to address some of those more difficult questions in the sermon this morning. So today we're in Ezekiel eleven sixteen through 25. I'm going to pray first, and then I'll read our passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you feed your people with your word. Every day when we turn to your word, you nourish us with comfort, direction, truth, correction, and hope. You give us what we need each day from your word. And as we gather as your children on the Lord's Day for worship and for the hearing of your word, we know that all week you've been preparing a meal for us. And so, Lord, we're hungry and we need this food. So give us spiritual stomachs to receive this food. Give us eyes to see your glory, ears to hear from you, and hearts to receive your message for each one of us with joy obedience, and hope. We ask all of this in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ezekiel 11, verses 16 through 25. This is the glorious word of our Lord. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I removed them far off among the nations, and though I scattered them among the countries... Yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings with the wheels beside them, and the glory of the God of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles." Then the vision that I had seen went up from me, and I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. According to God, in Scripture, there are two kinds of hearts. Every human being has one of these two kinds of hearts. There's hearts of stone, and there's hearts of flesh. There's no third category of human heart. Hearts of stone and hearts of flesh. And we're born with hearts of stone. Cold hearts, deceitful hearts, hearts that want to give in to every temptation, hearts that want to be true to every whim and thought that they have. And in addition to that massive problem, you can't change your own heart. You can't decide to love something you hate. You can't change that stone heart. But as we've sung and as we say here at Cornerstone, by grace through faith in Christ, we are given hearts of flesh, warm, living, growing, slowly at times, faster at other times, hearts growing in grace, hearts that want to love God and want to love others, hearts of flesh. But we're not born that way. The way we're born is the problem. We're born into sin, And this is the human condition. And it plays out in every human relationship, every human relationship. And you see it with kids. So a long time ago, one of our four kids used to love to put all of his action figures and Lego guys and and whatever else characters in a really long, straight line. I mean, it was like a parade. It was organized. It was beautiful. There was order and simplicity and beauty. And another one of our sons used to like to come by that beautiful parade of characters, that picture of order and beauty and simplicity. And he grabbed one of them and ran, causing chaos and destruction and disorder. And that was a sinful little heart learning to cause chaos And developing survival skills. (laughs) Now, here's the thing he liked it. And he didn't learn that from mom or dad, that was in his heart, causing chaos to others, putting himself first. Well, that's the condition of all of our hearts from birth. We have a heart of stone, a dead heart that wants to live for itself. And we're born with these broken hearts. Another prophet who lived at the same time as Ezekiel includes, in poetic language, from God about the human heart. This is Jeremiah 17, 9, one of the great verses of the Bible to memorize. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Can you imagine giving that out on a Valentine's Day card? One of the kids, I should have done that. I should have sent one of my kids to school with Valentine's and it's got their name on it and a little candy and you open it up and it says, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who could understand? I would have gotten a phone call (laughs) or 10. But that's the human heart when it's a heart of stone. In the seven chapters leading up to our passage this morning, that if you were on our reading plan, you read Ezekiel 4 through 10. God pronounces judgment on his people for their wickedness. Remember, the Israelites were sent into exile. Now, Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem with the group that hasn't been sent into exile yet. But the Babylonian Empire has started taking over the southern kingdom of Israel. The north, 150 years earlier, had already been sent into exile by the Assyrians. And now judgment is coming from God on the people by the Babylonian Empire. And Ezekiel was one of the first people kicked out. The first group of exiles was kicked out to Babylon by the Babylonian Empire. And so Ezekiel is in exile already. And in these chapters, four through ten, God is explaining all the reasons he kicked them out, all the reasons he judged them, everything they had done, which is why they were sent into exile. Their own sinful hearts were why they were far from God. But God, in our passage, offers incredible hope even to a people like that, even to those who have not lived for the Lord, Look in our passage at verses 19 and 20. And I will give them this heartless, cold people. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. What an offer, friends, that God gives to a sinful generation, a sinful nation, a sinful land. He offers them a new heart, life, forgiveness, a restored relationship with God, and one heart, a restored relationship with each other. He offers them peace and love, and God alone can offer that. And God would one day offer that at great price. For God to give a sinful people this kind of heart, he was going to need one day to send someone without a heart of stone to die in the place of the stone-hearted people to give them, by grace, hearts of flesh. And he did. God's heart is a heart that we need. For God so loved the world, there's his heart, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what God did in response to a world full of sin. We're born with sin-broken hearts, and we need new hearts, and Jesus makes that possible. So our passage has really good news in it, but most of Ezekiel, if you've been reading along, is bad news. It's a lot of bad news after bad news after bad news, and by chapter six, you're thinking, we get it. And you know what God's thinking through Ezekiel? No, you don't. You don't quite understand how wicked the human heart is apart from God. You don't quite get it. So he goes on and on and on. And the bad news is how stony the human heart can get. So this morning, we're going to describe from our passage those two kinds of hearts. Hearts of stone and hearts of flesh. And after all that judgment, we're going to see what God offers to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus. First, the bad news. Hearts of stone. Look at verse 18 in our passage. Ezekiel 11, verse 18. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. So real quick, the people were sent into exile, out from their land, but one day God is going to send them back And he's going to give them hope and new hearts. And when they get back to their land, they're going to remove all the wicked and evil things that they had been doing, which got them into trouble in the first place. So that is what verse 18 is saying. They're going to remove all the detestable things and abominations. Now go down to verse 21. But as for those whose heart, there's the problem, whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads declares the Lord God. All right, let's stop there for a minute. The Israelites had set up in their land detestable things and abominations. I mean, literally, some of them had on their shelf in their house a wooden idol of a false god, and they would go offer incense, burn incense to this wooden statue and say to this piece of wood that they carved themselves, dear God of the corn harvest, will you give me corn? Instead of the God who spoke cornfields into existence, they trusted these pitiful mockeries of the one true God. Individual families did that. And they had them in city towns and centers. And sometimes they set these things up in the temple where the Jews were supposed to come and worship God and offer sacrifice to their Redeemer. And they set up false gods even in the temple. That's how stony the human heart can get. The Israelites had set up detestable things and abominations, wicked, sinful actions and desires and choices that go against God's character, his beauty, and his design. And the heart of stone loves those kinds of things. The heart of stone loves false gods. The heart of stone loves to get Their joy from something other than the source of true joy. And their pleasure from something other than the source of true pleasure. And their meaning from something other than the source of true meaning. Every time we sin, we're looking for meaning or pleasure or joy from a source that cannot give it to us. And that's sin. The heart of stone loves those things. Desires those things seeks those things, and enjoys those things. It's anything that denies God's design and beauty, anything that violates God's law. But specifically, we'll get specific. In Israel at the time, we have lots of examples. When you read the Bible, it starts out great. Chapter 1, oh, it's beautiful. Chapter 2, this is going really well. Chapter three, oh no. And it's a mess from chapter 3 until the end, really. In chapters 4 through 10 of Ezekiel, and I'm going to briefly summarize them, we see the heart of stone given over without stopping. And before I summarize it, let me explain, if you're reading along, most of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is a prophet who was sent by God to the exiles to explain to them why they were in exile and what God's hope is for them in exile. And Ezekiel did not go around just talking all the time, like a lot of prophets. He engaged in what we call sign acts, sign acts, S-I-G-N-A-C-T-S, where he did something like pantomime or acting something out, and it was supposed to communicate to the people in a creative way what God was up to. So, Ezekiel isn't so much like a preacher prophet. He's a sign act prophet. And a lot of Ezekiel is that. And if you're reading along, you're like, what is he doing? He's trying to get God's message across to a people who weren't getting the message from the words. So, acts. for instance, in chapter 4, Ezekiel is told to take clay bricks, and he puts it on the ground, and he draws a city on it, and he pretends to have an army attack the city of Jerusalem, like a little boy playing war in a sandbox. acts are like that. They're creative ways to wake people up. What these acts are, they're poems, not speeches. They're paintings, not emails. And most of Ezekiel is like that as you read it along with us. So, all right, that's what's going on in Ezekiel. Now I'll summarize chapter 4. In chapter 4, as I said, Ezekiel makes this little city under siege, representing Jerusalem, the city of God, and he shows Babylon coming to destroy it. And he sets up siege works against it and battering grams, and he literally was probably going... He was probably doing that. And everyone would walk by in the town center and say, what are you doing, Ezekiel? What's wrong with you? And he would say, look, this is what God is doing. There's a reason why Jerusalem is under siege. There's a reason why you were sent into exile. If you're walking with the Lord, this doesn't happen to you. But if you walk away from the Lord, he lets the enemy come in to destroy. That's what he promised to do. Well, after that, God tells him to lay down for 390 days and then for 40 days, symbolizing periods and seasons in Israel's history. And on top of that, the really strange part is the diet of what some people call Ezekiel bread, okay? If you see that in the store, I wouldn't buy it. Okay, here's why. Here's why. He's given a recipe in chapter 4, verse 9, and he has to eat all this food put together in a a fire and cook it over human waste. All right, this is a sign act because the people aren't getting it. They aren't getting it. So he has to eat food cooked over human waste. Now, that's not to be disgusting. This was actually a way to cook when you're extremely poor and you have no other source of fuel. Or. If you're in a city and you're under siege and they cut off your supply lines and that's all you have left. And so that's what they were doing. They had run out of sources of fuel and he's saying, if you run away from God, if you fill your house, your land, your city with abominations, he's going to cut off your supply of bounty and you're going to end up cooking your food food over human waste. And that was the point. Because for the Jewish people, this wasn't just a sign that they were out of resources, that they were under siege, under attack. But food cooked over human waste would have made an Israelite ceremonially unclean. So this sign act in chapter 4 is Ezekiel's way of showing the people that God is seeing how unclean you made yourselves. And so symbolically, he has to eat unclean food so the people will understand that when they've run away from God in such vile ways, they've made themselves dirty and they need God to come clean them up. And God is going to judge that accordingly. What happens to a people when they make themselves unclean, when they run from God and worship false gods, when they follow their stone hearts all the way down the path of sin? Well, one more thing in Ezekiel 4 that happens. When a family, when a church, when a city, when a nation goes down these paths, what does God do? And it's in Ezekiel 4. When a people does that, God makes them anxious. Let me say that again. When a people runs from God, he makes them, not allows them to be, he makes them anxious. And we see this all throughout Scripture. When a family runs from God, God will make that family anxious. When a church runs from God, he will make that church anxious. When a nation runs from God, he will make that nation anxious. Ezekiel four sixteen says, Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I will break this supply of bread in Jerusalem. They will eat bread by weight and with anxiety, and they shall drink water by measure and in dismay. When people run from God, he gives them anxiety and despair. And this is actually a loving thing to do. It's a feature, not a flaw. I'm going to read a quote in a moment from C.S. Lewis, but one caveat here. It doesn't mean if you're anxious that it's proof that you've run away from God. But when a, a people group runs away from God, he will fill their land with anxiety and despair. That's what will happen, okay? Okay. It doesn't mean your friend who struggles with anxiety is particularly sinful. That's not what we're saying at all. But when a people group runs away from God, he fills their land with anxiety. And it's because we were designed to run on God. That's the fuel we were designed to run on. In mere Christianity, the author C.S. Lewis says this. is one of my favorite quotes. God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's no good just asking God to make us happy without bothering about God. God cannot give people happiness and peace apart from himself because it doesn't exist. Friends, a day is cold without heat. A room is dark without light, and a heart is hopeless without God. Stone hearts become anxious and despairing because they're running away from the source of peace and hope. And so that's the first sign act. This is what Ezekiel is doing. Once you understand what he's doing, it gets really exciting. Although maybe when you're reading it, you're getting anxious. But that's why we ended our sermon passage with the hope so that you don't go home anxious and despairing. In Ezekiel 5, we get another sign act. He shaves his beard and throws it into the wind. And we get a description of life under attack. And when you're under attack, as I said before, you run out of resources. And here's a passage that maybe if you read along with us, you were scratching your head thinking, how could this possibly be in the Bible? Well, what happens symbolically when you get really, really hungry? Well, starvation sets in. And in Ezekiel 5.10, Ezekiel is showing the people what's going to happen to them in Jerusalem symbolically, metaphorically. It says, Therefore, fathers shall eat their sons in your midst, and sons shall eat their fathers. And I will execute judgments on you, and any of you who survive I will scatter to all the winds. I wouldn't recommend that as a memory verse. What in the world is going on? God is saying that when a people runs away from him and he cuts off their source of light and hope and blessing because they've cut themselves off from it by running away, they will become so despairing that they will be like someone willing to eat their own family members. Now, I know some of you get really hungry by 1130. Hopefully not that hungry. And of course, it's wrong to eat your family. But what is the point of this? Well, this is a judgment from Leviticus. And God says that when a people runs away from him, they're going to despair to the point where some of them might consider eating their own loved ones. Why? Because they've gotten to the place in their own stone cold hearts where they no longer care about anyone in their life except themselves. You would only consider doing that if you valued your life and no one else's life. So it's a symbolic, metaphorical way to say that a stone-hearted people starts caring only about themselves. And so God will let people become self-centered to the point where they become desperate and find it impossible to love anyone other than themselves. And why does he do that? Because when you realize you can't solve your own problems and the people around you have failed you and you've got only yourself, you're supposed to be anxious and despairing and cry out for someone to save you. God allows that to happen so that people would cry out for a savior. And God sent one one day, another Israelite like Ezekiel, who didn't just lay on the ground and eat food that would make him ceremonially unclean. He hung on a cross and became unclean, and all the sins of the world were put on him and nailed to the cross so that you and I could be like our memory verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the people had made themselves starving and unclean and self-centered and Jesus came to give his life for all who became like that. The answer is not inside our stone hearts. The answer is for Jesus to give us hearts of flesh. We needed a savior. Ezekiel was trying to get that across to the people and that's chapter five. We're going to go a whole lot faster now through the rest of those chapters and end with our passage. In chapter 6, we see that God, no matter how bad the judgment is, no matter how filled with the sins of the people the land is, there's always a remnant, and Jesus is the perfect and true remnant, But Ezekiel 6, 8 says, yet I will leave some of you alive. God's going to have a remnant. There's always some who stay faithful to the Lord. If you feel all alone in your family, all alone in your church, all alone in your neighborhood, and you feel like I'm the only one who's trusting God, you're a remnant and God will be faithful. So if you feel all alone, God knows and he will be for you what you need. That's chapter 6. Chapter 7, we learn that money can't save you from your sins. Ezekiel seven nineteen. they cast their silver into the streets and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. Stone hearts trust in their own strength and not the Lord. You want to know what a stone heart does? It trusts in its own strength and not the Lord. In chapter 8, we learn that nothing can be hidden from God. Stone hearts try to hide from God. Have you been trying to hide from God? Have you been trying to hide some things from God? You think he doesn't see it? Stone hearts try to hide from God. In chapter 9, we hear about the nation having been full of bloodshed and injustice. That's what stone hearts do. They consider other lives less valuable. They treat people unjustly. That's what a stone heart does. And then we get to chapter 10. And we're reminded of Ezekiel chapter 1, that vision. The vision of God's throne chariot coming to the river in Babylon. And the vision is back. And Ezekiel sees the throne chariot of God leaving the temple. The place among God's people where God was supposed to be. And you're supposed to be shocked. Why would God's presence leave his temple? Why would God leave Jerusalem? I thought that's where God said he was going to be. And there's two reasons why God leaves the temple. There's two reasons why God leaves the temple. It's his holiness and his character. Listen to this. God's people had filled the land with sin and God's holy. And so his holy presence is departing from this land full of sin. It's because of his holiness that he leaves. But it's also because of his character. Where were his people? They were in exile. And so God was actually symbolically leaving the place where his people were, and he's going to be with his people in exile because he loves them that much that he will go with them into exile and share their exile experience. Jesus took on human flesh and came and walked among us And he experienced temptation and pain and suffering and mockery. He lived the exile life that we have lived to be with us, to identify with us, and to die in our place. God, because of his character, will leave to be with his people because that's the kind of heart he has. And he wants to give us that kind of heart because we're born with stone hearts. And here is the point his holiness, and his character. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. You can run from God, but you can't outrun him. That's the gospel. That's why in week one of our series, I said Ezekiel's about Jesus. And we filled the earth with sin, injustice, depravity, and anger. God sent his son to die in our place, to die for people with stone hearts that we might receive hearts of flesh. So the first part is stone hearts, hearts of stone. Stone hearts only care about themselves. Stone hearts trust in their own strength. They try to run from God. They try to hide from God. And they treat other people unjustly. But God, but God so loved the world. There was always hope. The judgment was bad. And if you want to go into this world and pronounce the good news, You need to understand how bad the bad news is. So we've got the bad news down. Now we're going to smile. Our second part of our sermon is hearts of flesh. This is the good news. Chapters 4 through 10 were judgment, harsh but honest judgment, brutal but fair judgment, and creative judgment. And then after all that judgment, friends, we get the word therefore. So we're back in Ezekiel 11 now. Look at verse 16. Therefore say... Thus says the Lord God. All right, stop there. Chapter four, judgment on their sins. Chapter five, judgment on their sins. Chapter six, judgment on their sins. Chapter seven, judgment on their sins. Chapter eight, judgment on their sins. Chapter nine, judgment on their sins. Chapter 10, judgment on their sins. Judgment, 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 judgment. God says, and therefore, what kind of God do we have in the scriptures? What kind of God do we have? Judgment, 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 judgment. Therefore, what comes next? Look at the heart of God. Verse 16. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, though I remove them far off among the nations and though I scatter them among the countries, yet I have been a sanctuary to them for a while in the countries where they've gone. 17. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered and I will give you the land of Israel. And when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. Judgment, 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 judgment. Therefore, God says, I am going to give you the heart you need. That's the kind of God we have. That's the kind where God, we're going out into this world without hope. We're bringing the message of hope to them. Yes, God has judgment on sin, but yes, his grace is greater than all our sin. God is saying, yeah, I sent you into exile just like I promised, but even there I was with them. Look at verse 16 at the end. Yet I've been a sanctuary to them. I was with you even in exile. And then God is saying, I have future plans for you. I'm going to plan to give you the land back. Look at the end of verse 17. I will give you the land of Israel. And friends, if you read on in our Old Testament, he does give them the land back in our books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And it's beautiful for a time. God does keep this promise. But he's saying to the people, poetically through Ezekiel, you sinned and brought judgment on yourself, but you are my people. And so I will be with you. I have plans for you, and my plan for you is to bless you not with earthly blessings necessarily, not with what the world considers success, but the true blessing of being a child of God is that God gives us a heart like His, a heart of flesh. Do you want a heart of flesh, a heart like Jesus' heart, more than anything else you could get this week? Well, when sinners receive this new heart, we call it being born again. It leads to a life that loves God, loves others, and starts to be uncomfortable and even come to hate our own sins. Look at verse 19. I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people And I will be their God. Do you want that? I will be their people, their God. They will be my people. You can't purchase this kind of heart. You can't earn this heart. You can't accomplish this yourself. It's all a gift and it's all good news. And that's why at the end of our passage, Ezekiel couldn't keep his mouth shut about this good news. Look at verse 22. Then the cherubim lifted up their wings and the wheels beside them. This is the beginning Ezekiel 1, this whole big vision Ezekiel's been seeing. Cherubim lifted up their wings, wheels beside them. Glory of the Lord of Israel was over them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountains that is on the east side of the city. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me in the vision by the Spirit of God into Chaldea to the exiles. Then the vision that I had seen went up from me. Verse 25, here it is. When you see really, really good news of God's grace and mercy, he says, And I told the exiles all the things that the Lord had shown me. So let me wrap this up briefly. Ezekiel saw good news of a God who judges sin and yet who offers amazing grace, and he wanted to tell everyone. Well, Jesus has sent us on the Great Commission into this world to tell them the good news. And the good news is for everyone. And here's one way to show this truth to the world. And it's really hard. You want to live this out? You want to live this out? You want to be like God? It's really hard. But God can give you the strength to do it. God's people had sinned against him, rebelled against him, mocked him, set up false gods. He loved them and they rejected him. Judgment, 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 judgment. But then he offers forgiveness to everyone who wronged him. So one way we can show the world how good this news is, is for those who have acted stoneheartedly towards us, we can offer them forgiveness. Because in our stoneheartedness, God forgave us and gave us a heart of flesh. Forgiveness is hard. It costs Jesus his life. But Jesus will give you the strength to offer that forgiveness to those who, well, only care about themselves and not you. Those who trust in their own strength and reject you. Those who have tried to run from you or hide from you or have treated you unjustly. All the stone-hearted things God's people did, he forgave. And so when people act that way towards us, and if you've been on the receiving end of that, Run to your gracious heavenly father and ask him for the strength to show those people the love you've been shown. Because you've received the good news. What's the good news? 19, I'll give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I'll remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And here it is, they shall be my people and I will be their God. So I have good news. God gives sinners new hearts. We're born into sin. We arrive with stone hearts. We only care about ourselves. We trust in our own strength. We run from God. We hide from God. We treat people unjustly. If that was you when I described it, and you've never trusted in Jesus, if you felt like I was talking about you, repent of your sins and trust in the Savior who died so that there would be no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. But if you're a Christian, and you've been walking with God for a while, but maybe the last few weeks, you've been acting stone-hearted again, I have good news. Repent of your sins and trust in Jesus. Not only does he give us hearts of flesh, but he revives dying hearts. He gives his life. He gave it on the cross. And Jesus has enough to warm your heart up again this week so that you'll love God and you'll love others and you'll start treating the world the way God treated you. Consider the heart of God. He sent his son to give new life to people with stone hearts. No matter how far they've run, no matter how hard their heart is, We're sinners, God's the Savior, and his heart is bigger than our old stony hearts. And like Ezekiel, once you see how good this news of a forgiving God is, you're going to want to go and tell everyone of the great grace of God. You're going to want to sing out loud with your voice what we're about to sing. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon And cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, your judgments were correct. When we set up false gods, you bring anxiety because we've run from the God of peace. When we run from you, we find darkness because you're the source of light. When we run from you, we find despair because you're the source of hope. So Father, forgive us for running from you this year, this week, even this morning. Remind us of the great truth that even in the midst of all this judgment, you offer the gracious gift of a new heart. So, Father, give us new hearts today that will love you and love others this week. Help us forgive like you've forgiven us. And help us trust that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You truly are the God of amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.